you are good, and your Holy Spirit is always orchestrating things uh, way beyond our understanding. And we're grateful, and we pray this morning, your Holy Spirit would continue to teach us and give us insight to be the kind of men and women that you long for us to be, and that is full, absolutely full, full to overflowing with the life that comes from you alone, God. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I'm going st- to... It's a little overwhelming for me, and, and you might think it's not a big deal, but for me it is. Uh, Stephanie, go to the slide that, talk, that way toward the end that says God is able to rescue you. I'm going to start at the end, and then we'll go. I'll start at the end, all right? How about that? Um, God will rescue you. When I plan to preach on this, I don't talk to Jeremy or Dan about what I'm preaching on. Some churches try to coordinate themes. I've never thought, I've never, we don't do that because I've just thought, well, if the Holy Spirit wants Jeremy to lead certain songs and wants Dan to say certain things, that's the Holy Spirit's job to coordinate it all, all right? I had no idea we were going to sing a song about God's rescue. I had no idea Dan was going to have us talk about ways for God to rescue us. So when we sing that song, I called, you answer, and you came to my rescue. And then Dan does this thing about, you know, rescue, you know, God see me, save me. I thought, okay, this is not coincidental. There are people here this morning, maybe you, maybe me, maybe all of us, who are in desperate need to be reminded that God will rescue us. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that Jeremy and Dan and I all had some kind of same theme, and we didn't talk about it. I mean, if you want to get a Bible up here for Dan to swear on or Jeremy to swear on, he'll know we didn't talk about this. So I'm sitting here and we're singing that, and I thought, okay, God, this must... Because this morning, I changed my sermon this morning to make this the focus. Like this morning, like at 7 o'clock, I was going to do a little bit more of a fo- different focus for this passage. So I thought, okay, God, I think this is you. I mean, can we at least acknowledge it may not be coincidental? And maybe there's some of you that when Dan was having you do that, you were thinking, I desperately am drowning right now. Or when we were singing the song, I called, you answer, and you can't... You're thinking... I'm calling. I'm not sure if God's answering, but I need something. So anyway, I'm convinced. I'll start, with the, I'll start with the end. I'm convinced there are some of us here, and again, maybe including me and you, that maybe have an error in our lives where we desperately need God's, God's intervention. Right? Now let's go to the beginning. <laughs> um, I, I kind of pulled this out of a uh, Paul Gutjahr playbook because Paul did years ago we did these worst-case scenarios. And this is related to what we're talking about, but um, Paul used to do these when he did the Your Story Matters. But here's some questions we're all going to do real quick, all right? Worst-case scenario, how do you drive through quicksand? I can't imagine anybody's ever done that before. But A, drive on tire tracks made by other vehicles. B, drive slowly, weaving back and forth as you go. C, tap the brakes a lot. If you feel the vehicle start to sink, quickly put the car in reverse. A, B, or C? I have no idea what the answer is because the website made you join a club to get the answer. So I don't know. All right. Next question. I really don't know. How do you cross the piranha-infested river? Again, I don't know the answer is because they wanted me to join something. I didn't want to join. Wait until you see them feeding, then cross the river while they're distracted. B, cross the river in early morning and throw stones behind you to distract them. C, quickly and quietly cross the river at night while they are asleep. Any A's? B's? 
See, I don't know. You have to Google this afternoon to figure that out. Next one. All right. How do you remove skunk spray from outside of a car? A, wash the car with hot water and ammonia. B, spray the car with hydrogen peroxide, then wipe it off quickly. C, wash the car with hot water and vinegar. Again, I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine, you all right? In this case scenario, all right? Last one. What do you do if you're in a sinking car? Not a stinking car, a sinking car. A, unbuckle your seatbelt, open the door and swim out. B, no matter what, keep your seatbelt on. <laughs> C, go to the back of the car and escape through the trunk, which I can't imagine that would be kind of complicated. Or D, smash through the window with a headrest. After the water stops running in, swim out. All right. D seems like it's common sense, but these are never common sense answers. I don't know. I don't know what you do in that kind of scenario. All right. One more. And this is where you fill in the blank. Because you may be in a situation, it may not be a worst case scenario, but you may be in a bad situation, a bad scenario. Kind of like what Dan was saying. Maybe there's a situation that you desperately need rescued from. Maybe it's from your own doing. Maybe it's not even from your own doing. Sometimes the worst case scenarios we find ourselves in are the result of our own poor choices and sinful actions. Sometimes it's because we're doing the right thing and we're following Jesus. So what do you do if you're in a bad marriage? What do you do if you have some secret habit that nobody knows about and you, don't, and you desperately want out of it? What do you do if you're doing the right things, you're following Jesus, and because you made choices about following Jesus, you're getting flack from people and pushback and even some animosity because why won't you do that with us? Come on, it's not a big deal. Can't we just fudge that number a little bit? Can't you, can't you do this and just not tell your parents you're doing it? Because sometimes the situation we find ourselves in is because we're followers of Jesus. But we still need rescue from those situations because sometimes the animosity is overwhelming. So no matter what your worst case scenario is, whether it's self-induced by your own bad choices or maybe it's induced because of your righteous choices, every one of us are, find ourselves in those situations. And what do you do? I mean, it's not a game. There's not game cards for this. There's not a game card for What do you do if you're in a bad marriage? What do you do if you found this out about your spouse? What do you do if your kid's rebellious? What do you do if your employer is going to fire you because you won't do what they want you to do because what they want you to do, you believe, is unethical and immoral? What do you do? What we've been doing the last few uh, weeks, months, book of Daniel, Old Testament book of Daniel, and I just call it stretching, it far, stretching far, far beyond comfort. Scenario, again, context. Um, Years and years ago, next slide, in uh, 605 B.C., Jerusalem was overrun by the Babylonians. Uh, the king was Nebuchadnezzar. As was the habit then, they smash and burn the town. They take the best and the brightest into exile into Babylon, which was miles and miles and miles away. And they reenculture them, hopefully, so they can be leaders in that culture. So you can imagine these Jewish people had to faced with all kinds of potential compromise and challenges because they were now expected to be just like them and live in that world 
with that sense of morality and that sense of ethical right and wrong. And what do you do? All right. This week, on the next slide, Daniel 6. This is a story if you grew up in a church. You've heard this story. Daniel's in the lion's den. In the lion's den. If you didn't grow up in the church, you probably still may have heard some aspect of it. Um, and let me just uh, summarize the story and then we'll read parts of it. Daniel is one of the main leaders. He's, a, he's an advisor to the king. To this po- at this point, Daniel had kind of risen among the ranks. Darius is now the king. Darius the Mede is now the king. So we don't know how old Daniel is. He was in his teens when he came there. So now he's probably, he may be in his 60s. So this has been a while. He's risen to the top of the advisory team to the king. And Darius the Mede is now the king. And the problem is there were other advisors, other political aides, so to speak. They didn't like Daniel. They didn't like all the favor he was given because he was wise. The Bible tells us that God gave him unusual wisdom. He was wise. He had uh, discernment that God gave him. And so these other leaders basically devised a trick to frame him. And they said, okay, we're going to do this. Let's have a law passed that you can only pray to the king for the next 30 days. And if anybody prays otherwise, they're executed, thrown in the den of lions. So they devise this whole thing. They go to the, the king and say, King Darius, we have this great idea. We think, and, and they didn't include Daniel, even though Daniel was part of that whole group of advisors. We think you have this law that if we only pray to you for 30 days, only you, and if anybody prays to any other God other than you, they should be executed by being thrown in the lions. So they come up with this plan. Darius is unaware, because Darius actually likes Daniel. We'll see that later on. He's unaware of what's happening. He says, yes. I mean, his ego gets in the way. Yes, great law. 30 days, only pray to me. All right. Law's passed. Daniel hears about the law. Next one. Let's go to the next slide here. I love this first part of the passage I put up here. Chapter 10. Or chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Okay, Daniel, you know the king's serious. You know, you know that Darius, as the king, not only did he pass this law, but you know how laws work in your country. If the law's been passed, it cannot be revoked. Daniel knows... So when he learned the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, please notice he didn't do this. He didn't go on a prayer protest. He didn't go protest and pray on the front lawn of the king's. He didn't kind of like in your face, we're going to protest this. There are times for protests, but sometimes I think our religious protests become more political protests, which I think is not at all from the spirit of God. But there's times where it is appropriate to speak as citizens. But Daniel, is just, he's just doing what he always does. He just went, windows open toward Jerusalem, prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done giving thanks to God. But he knew the law, and he knew the law had teeth. No pun intended there, actually. He knew the law. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house because they knew he'd be, they knew exactly, they, they knew him. They knew him well enough. They know they'd see it. 
They went to Daniel's house, found him praying, asking for God's help, took a picture, put it out on Twitter. All right? Everybody saw it. They knew we caught him. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. All right, next slide. The king, I skipped these verses. The king is upset. He's distraught. He loves Daniel. And he realizes he was basically trapped into this situation. But the law is the law. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. So at this point, if you're Daniel, you get a sense of Daniel already. He probably knew this was coming. He knew Darius liked him. But he also knew how laws work. He'd been living in that culture for years. So he knew this was coming. So it doesn't sound like he resisted the arrest. He didn't like go run and hide. Throw in the lion's den. The king is distraught. He's upset. The king doesn't sleep all night because Daniel is in this. We don't know exactly what it was like, but they said they had to roll a stone over the cover and they put Daniel inside. And then the, roll, the stones rolled and boom, we don't know. The king's like can't imagine how Daniel could survive that. And the king doesn't sleep all night. Wakes up in the morning, runs to the lion's den. Go to the next slide. And, and the, king, the king yells, Daniel, Daniel, has your, king, has your God been able to rescue you? Like the king had faith in Daniel's God. I mean, why would he yell if he thought there was a good chance that Daniel might yell back after being in the lion's den for eight plus hours? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And you may remember, if you know the story too, if you don't, the king is so irate, all the advisors that devised the plan, he throws them and their families in the lion's den, and they're all killed. Now, don't, you know, don't spend too much time trying to figure out why did the guy, you know, just Darius did that. But then Darius, at the end of the book, go to the last chapter, or last slide. This is what Darius, a pagan king, says about Daniel's God, because he's amazed at what happened. He says about Daniel's God, he rescues and saves his people. Say that first line with me. He rescues and saves his people. This is a pagan king that knows that about Daniel's God. You have a God that rescues and saves your people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heaven and on the earth. Now, let me just stop here for a second because I'm going to back up. And let's think about the book of Daniel as a whole. It was written by Daniel why the God's people were in exile where God's people desperately wanted to know, has God forgotten about us? Can God rescue us? I mean, granted, the people probably didn't read the book of Daniel until they were all finally were allowed to go back. But I imagine there were some among them that thought, why in the world did God allow us to be kind of for 70 years stuck in Babylon and Jerusalem was flattened? And does God even care? And again, please don't tell me you haven't had those thoughts because I have. Has God forgotten about 
Did God forget about us? I mean, if that could happen once, it could happen again. Maybe I should kind of figure out how to guard my own life because maybe God doesn't really take care of us like he said he was going to because why in the world was Jerusalem smashed and we were stuck in that hellhole for 70 years? Does God do anything? So Daniel, so they, you know, Daniel had written the book probably after all this time. But I want to just real quick just go through each of the chapters of Daniel, all right? Because this is what, again, now, now you are Jewish people who are living back in Jerusalem after the exile, but you've heard stories about how awful it was, and you know people who are kind of cynical about whether or not God even is engaged in the lives of his people anymore, because why in the world would allow that to happen? All right, chapter 1, Daniel's in captivity. It says God gives them unusual wisdom. So you're reading this, and you're like, okay, God was still kind of engaged and involved in people's lives. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream. And what does it say? It says God gave Daniel the ability to interpret this dream, which in essence saved him and, Shadrach, him and the others because the king said, if nobody knows this dream, I'm going to kill you all. But God's engaged. He's, he brings rescue in the midst of a hopeless situation. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar because of that they were thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person in there. He said, like the son of a gods. And they come out, and kind of like Daniel had no scratch, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. And again, you're a Jewish person reading this, and you're thinking, you know, even there, God was with them. Chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream about this tree and about kind of how he's going to lose his kingdom, and he becomes like this animal in the wild. But again, Daniel interpreted that dream for him. And so they're thinking, you know, even God was engaged in justice in that pagan king's life. Chapter 5, which was last week, had the writing on the wall, King Belshazzar. There's writing on the wall. Hand shows up out of nowhere. Daniel interprets it. Chapter 6, what we just talked about here, Daniel's rescued from the lions. So if you and I are Jewish people back in Jerusalem and we're reading all this, thinking about all this, one of our conclusions would be, well, wow, first of all, almost every chapter in Daniel, God was involved supernaturally. I mean, like dreams and interpretation of dreams and a handwriting on the wall and somebody rescuing guys in the middle of a fire and Daniel not getting scratched because God sent an angel. You see, because Christianity, and I said this before, it's a supernatural religion. Our religion is not one of morality, politics, or ethical goodness exclusively. It's a supernatural religion where God is always involved and engaged in the lives of his people. And so I'm a Jewish person, you're a Jewish person, you know, 70 years later, we're back in Jerusalem, we're like, you know, God still was active in those situations. God was still engaged and doing some pretty incredible things. We didn't always see it. Doesn't mean God's not doing it. And you may find yourself in a situation now where you may have Maybe you've come out of a dry spell of your life with Christ or God, or maybe something didn't work out, and you're like, I don't think God's even engaged in our lives anymore. No, God's always engaged in the lives of his people, and he's engaged in supernatural, dramatic ways at times. And he always brings rescue and hope to his people. Even in the situation in Babylon where they thought things were hopeless. So then here comes the slide I started with. Go to the next one that God will rescue you. 
you may think, okay, but the situation I find myself in, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this marriage. It's a bad marriage. And my only way that I think God would rescue me is if he kind of separated us or got a divorce. Or, or I'm, I'm stuck. I got this kid that's rebellious, and I don't know how, what good can come out of this. Or I'm stuck. I'm in this job where my boss is trying to push me and squeeze me to do stuff I don't think is right. But I, I got to keep my job. I need to feed my family. So what do I do? And not only will God rescue you, but he does it um, supernaturally. Now, here, here on this. I don't mean magically. I don't mean you sit there and think, okay, my marriage is bad, so I'm just going to sit here until God kind of all of a sudden whoo, changes me and changes my spouse overnight. God rescues, but you'll notice even with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with Daniel, he rescues through people kind of engaging and following the paths that God's already pointed out for us. So it's not a passiveness that God's encouraging us to take. It's not like I'm just going to be passive and I'll wait for God to rescue me and when the movie's over, I'll open my eyes and everything's going to be wonderful again. No, you still have to walk through it, but you walk through it according to the ways that God has told us to walk with him. With integrity, with honesty, with humility. We talked about that last week. With humility and with an incredibly deep trust in the supernatural God who can work things in people's hearts and spirits in ways we don't fully understand. But we believe he does that because we believe God does do supernatural things. If we didn't, we wouldn't pray. And sometimes when we don't pray, I wonder it's because we don't believe he could. But he does. He will rescue you. Now, um, I'm just going to stay on this slide and we'll finish on this slide. And um, let's do this. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to do a redo of kind of what Dan did earlier. And um, I want you to kind of envision the situation that either you find yourself in now where whether it's a relational issue, um, maybe a secret habit issue, or maybe it is an issue where you generally are suffering because you follow Jesus and you're getting flack from that. You're getting mocked because of it or whatever. And maybe either one of two things is true, which, or both. Maybe you don't even believe God cares. You, 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 like Dan was having us do when he was having us raise our hand and kind of shout out like we're drowning in water. Maybe you, you think God is like the lifeguard who's like talking to his girlfriend, not even paying attention to you. And you feel like God's forgotten you. And maybe that's you. And it's legitimate if you feel that way. It's not legitimate if you stay that way because God doesn't forget his people. He never forgets his people. And he always responds to the cry. He always responds to the outstretched arm that's waving for his attention. Or, and or, maybe you're waving your arm and you know God sees you. And now you're questioning whether God even has the ability or the compassion to do anything about it. Maybe your, your experience of God or your recent experiences that God is maybe it's a little bit stoic toward you and seems uninvolved. 
So whether, he doesn't, whether you think he doesn't see or he sees and he's uninvolved, one of those two are often the things we struggle with. God doesn't see me or he sees and he's not involved or I must not be powerful enough to do anything about it. So, but now, um, I'm going to have you do what, stay seated though, I'm going to have you do what Dan just had us do and I want you everybody to just kind of raise your hand above you. Nobody's going to see, so... You know, and I, and I want you to kind of stretch it out and kind of wave it like you're trying to get God's attention. And you, you can stop waving now, just hold it up there. God, uh, we stretch out our arms because we feel like in our hearts sometimes we want to stretch the same way and we want to cry out and say, God, would you help? We don't know what to do in these situations. We don't know what to do to fix our marriage. We don't know what to do to fix our relationship with our son or daughter. We don't know what to do about this issue in our life we can't seem to shake. We don't know what to do about the people that are giving us difficulty because we follow you and the pressures we're feeling, we're about ready to give in, but we don't want to, but we don't know what else to do because we feel stuck. So God, you said, God, you promised you'd come to our rescue. You promised that. You didn't only promise us in the New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament, it's a promise that you will come to the rescue of your people when they turn to you. And so, God, we're turning to you, we're reaching out to you, and you promised you'd rescue us. And so, God, we, we're going to ask you, and we are going to trust that you do keep your promise, and we're going to ask you to do that. And this week, would you show us ways... Show us the way to walk through that situation. Show us the way to freedom. We want to walk out like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without, with no smoke or like Daniel with no scratch because we believe that you can do that. Now, go ahead and put your hands down. And God, we believe you can do that, and we trust that you're going to do that, and we will do whatever you ask us to do to walk through that situation so that we can be in a situation where you are welcome, you're invited, you're involved, and you show up in ways, in supernatural ways, maybe in the deepest parts of our hearts you show up, and you bring transformation, you bring change, you bring hope, you bring healing. And you begin that process of bringing life, hope, and healing to our relationships with our kids, with our parents, with our spouses. You bring that process of bringing life and hope and healing to those habits in our lives that have long kept us in shackles. You bring, you bring life and you bring hope and you bring healing in those situations where we feel hemmed in by the, from the animosity of those who don't follow you. But we don't want to walk away from you. We don't want to deny you. We will always do what Daniel did. We will do what we've always done in terms of the ways we want to follow you. Give us that kind of faithfulness. And um, we ask this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um.